0: Welcome to the Calvary Assembly podcast with weekly messages from the Calvary Assembly of God Church in Lexington, Nebraska. You can find out more online at lexag.org and on Facebook at Calvary Assembly Lex. Thanks for listening. So we've been going through a series called Pre-Decide and we've been talking about how to make better decisions because when we make better decisions we have a better what? Life, right? Better decisions, better life. Poor decisions, not as great a life. <laughs> and we've all been on both sides of this equation, haven't we? Uh, and so we've talked in the last couple of weeks about uh, we're talking about traits and how these traits help us make better decisions. So we talked about uh, being ready. Being ready for what? Temptation, right? We're ready to resist temptation. We've talked about being consistent. Pastor Kenny shared this about having consistent good decisions. We talked about being devoted, about being a fully devoted follower of Christ. Yeah, as you click through those, they'll pop up there, Vince. I'm sorry, I forgot to show you that. Uh, We talked about today, we're going to talk about being generous. And then next week, we're going to talk about being faithful. And then we're going to talk about being a finisher, someone who goes the distance with Christ. So we've been talking about this, what it means to really be a fully committed follower of Jesus and follow him in our decision-making how many of you have ever made a really bad decision? How many of you have paid for that bad decision? How many are still paying for those bad decisions, right? Because consequences happen, right? How many of you have made great decisions? Some of you are sitting next to some of your best decisions, right? I am giving you this, guy. I mean, this is free points right here. You know, pat them, put your arm around them, right? So we know that good decisions are good, they help us. So today we're gonna talk about being generous. Now, how many of you have seen an ad on TV at some point in your life? How many of you have seen an ad on the interstate at some point in your life? Or heard an ad on the radio? Now we get ads on our phones, right? We are surrounded by advertisements. And I was reading in, uh, an article in Forbes magazine. Now, this is back in 2017. This is the newest statistics I could find. But in 2017, Forbes magazine estimated that most Americans are exposed to around 4 to 10% 1,000 advertisements a day, 4 to 10,000 advertisements. You may say, well, I don't watch TV. You still get advertisements. You see them on people's clothing, right? If you wear clothes with a logo, you're what? You're advertising for them free, right? Uh, You see them in in websites. You see them, if you watch a YouTube video, you see ads, right? You see them everywhere we go. And what are these ads trying to do? They're trying to sell us something, but how do they do that? They make us what? Discontent. Their goal is to make you discontent with what you have so you want what they're selling. Right? That's their whole goal is to make us discontent. Instead of being content with what we have, they want to make, oh, this is, have you ever done it? You buy something, you save up and you buy something, and the next week they come out with a new model. You ever been there? Like, I just got this one. And they come out with something new. Why do they come out with new cars every single year? So you buy another one, right? Hopefully. They come out with new phones every year. So you buy another one, right? And so their goal is to make you self-centered. Their goal is to make us satisfied less and desire more. And guys, in Christ, if we're going to be generous, we have to learn how to be what? Content. And this is a tough, tough thing. Because the world is trying to make us self-centered, but Jesus wants us to be God-centered. And a lot of times those things are at opposites, right? So if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, the notes are in there. If you hit that events tab, more than events, the notes are all there. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 6. Now, Paul's talking to the church in Corinth about giving a gift. Now, this is a gift for other believers who are having a hard time. Uh, they're, they're having a famine, and so they're trying to get gifts to these guys. And look at what he says, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 6. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. Now, this is perfect timing because we're in what? We're getting ready to start harvest, or some have already started, right? So we see what happens when you plant seeds. You get more, right? It's this process we see in life. So he says a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And now listen to this. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives what? Cheerfully. Everybody say cheerfully. Now smile. Right? (laughs) For God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will give generously generously. God will generously provide all that you, what's that word? Need. God will provide all you need. Then you'll always have everything you, what's that word? Need. And plenty left over to share with others. Whoa. So God is saying when I'm generous, he will provide everything I need and then more to share with others. Now, did he say he'll give you everything you want? No. No. And then some to share. He says he'll give you what you need and more to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, He will provide an increase and provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. He will provide a harvest of generosity. In you, Yes, you'll be, it says you'll be enriched in every way so you can always be generous. And then when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So guys, this is a, a principle that we see in scripture. When we are generous, God is generous back to us. When we hold tightly, he doesn't bless as much. But when we give, when we're generous. Now, I know guys, some of you in this room, some of you watching online are naturally generous people, Right? Some of you, it's very easy to be generous. That's just in your nature. My wife is very generous. My kids are actually very generous. I have to work at it because some of us are just that way. Especially, guys, those of you that grew up without a lot, it's harder to learn to be generous, right? If you grew up without much, you held on to what you had. But in Scripture, it's the opposite. He says if you have, you need to give so God can give back more. And so this is a learned trait. This is something Amy helps me with all the time. This is something God challenges me with all the time because I grew up with a single mom. We didn't have a whole lot, so you kind of hold on to what you have. And God is saying, let go, right? You have to hold loosely. So this is something that we see in Scripture. And guys, it's funny because we think, well, when I have more, I'll give more. But you know what? It's usually the opposite, you have to learn to give when you have little, and God will give you more to give away. Well, where did you find that? Well, I found it in research. James out the National Center for Charitable Statistics. How would you like that name? Finds that households earning less than $50,000 donate 4% of their adjusted gross income, while those earning two hundred to 250000 give about half that, 2.4%. And then the super rich, you know, they give more because they can do that. And this is funny. Uh, there's a study at the University of California in Berkeley. Researchers brought rich and poor members of the community into their lab. They gave each person the equivalent of $10. And they told them they could either keep the money or they could share it with a stranger. The people who earn less than $25,000 a year gave 44% more to the stranger than those who earned one hundred and fifty dollars to $200,000 a year. Isn't that funny? People who had less were given it and they gave more away. So it doesn't necessarily mean that when we have more, we'll give more. We have to learn how to be what? Generous. So, and this is generous with our finances, but it's also with our time. It's also generous with our abilities. So there's lots of ways to be generous. So this is not just a giving message. This is learning how to be generous. So one of the core values here at Calvary is being generous. We want to do that, and we're known in our community as generous people. We're known in the missions world as generous givers. So how do, we, how do we live this thing out? How do we make better decisions with generosity? Well, first, we have to understand that we're expected to enjoy things wisely. There's that word, wisely. It's great to enjoy what we have. Guys, I love riding my motorcycle, but I have to be wise about it, right? I can't let it take over my life right? <laughs> there are guys who call their motorcycle the other woman. Um, that's not good. Actually, I think their wives call it the other woman, but that's not good. So we're expected to enjoy things wisely. So it's good to enjoy the things God has blessed us with. It's good to enjoy things God has given us. He gives it to us for our enjoyment and for us to use. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, Paul tells young Timothy, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works. By doing this, they'll be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future, so they can experience true life. So Paul says, use what you have, enjoy it. God gives it to you to enjoy, but use it for his glory. Use it in ways that honor him. He says he gives that to us. You know, the same way we give our kids stuff, right? We want them to enjoy it, but we don't want those things to control their lives. The same thing, God gives us things, but he doesn't want us to be owned by things. He doesn't want us to be owned by our careers or owned by our possessions. How many of us know people who own stuff, but they have to work a billion hours to afford what they own? And it kind of owns their life, right? So we have to be willing to... Use what God has given us for His pleasure, for His enjoyment, and also for ours. We have to understand that we're expected to use the gifts He's given us for His kingdom. In 2 Corinthians uh, 9, that we read earlier, He says, You'll be enriched in every way so you can always be generous, and we take those gifts to those who need them, and they will thank God. So, two things result from this ministry of giving the needs of believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. When we're generous, God uses that generosity to bless others. And you know, most of us probably have a story of someone who was generous who blessed us. When we were youth pastors in Joplin, we had this guy, he was was a great man, he was an eye doctor. And he had recently given his life to Christ and this guy was incredibly generous. He drove an old, old, old Jeep. I mean, this guy was very well off. He drove an old vehicle, but he had an incredible house. I mean, three stories, glass everywhere. And he would tell us, anytime you want, bring the teenagers over. And I said, uh, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, because he had a junior hire at the time. He's like, let's have parties at our house. And I said, you know what teenagers do, right? And he's like, oh, yeah, they don't hurt anything. And they had a pool. I mean, they had all kinds of stuff. So we'd have parties at his house. And he's like, guys, this is here for us to use for God's glory. It's not ours. I mean, this guy was so wealthy. He had a bed for his dog, like his dog in his own bedroom area, like with their own window in front of the house so they could watch who was kind of, I mean, it was crazy. But he was a super incredibly generous guy. And he said, you know, let's use it. And anytime he would say, you know, anytime somebody needs something, just let me know behind the scenes. We'll, we'll pay for it. I mean, incredibly generous. But he understood it was his to what? Use and enjoy, right? I think the kids actually jumped off his second floor balcony into the pool a few times. It was crazy. So, uh, but a lot of us, In our culture, we we think everything I have is for who? Me. It's all about me. So we have to get through our heads. Everything belongs to the Lord, and he gives it to us to use for our enjoyment, but also to use for his furtherment, his kingdom's furtherment, right? So how to be rich in giving? Well, we have to understand we're expected to give wisely. We have to give wisely. How many of you know when you're generous, people find out that you're generous, right? And what do you get? You get asked to give all the time. And this is not just financially, but also if people find out you're willing to help, what do they do? Hey, I need help here and help there. So we're expected to give wisely, not to every single person who asks. We're expected to pray about what and where to give. God, what do you want me to give? Where do you want me to give? Again, in the verses we read earlier, Paul said, you must decide in your heart how much to give how much to give. Decide in your heart. Don't give in. He says, don't give in response to pressure. But God loves a person who gives cheerfully. So we can't be pressured. How many of you guys have seen these commercials on TV for I think it's the like ASPCA? It's got the Sarah McLaughlin song and all the abused dogs. I can't even watch those. I'm like, take my credit card. Take, you know, like I have to go away. I can't watch it because you know they just tear your heart out. And they know. You know, they find the saddest puppy-eyed dogs, you know, and the saddest song in the world and the arms of the angel and all that stuff. It's just like, oh, my goodness, you're killing me. He doesn't want us to give in response to pressure. But, guys, sometimes someone's going to come in here, and they're going to share a need, and God is going to poke your heartstrings. And that's when you know, yeah, I'm supposed to get involved in this. I remember several years ago, Curtis Hubble was sitting down front, and we had a missionary from the Ukraine speaking. And Curtis caught me after church. He's like, this is the craziest thing? But I think I'm supposed to be a missionary to the Ukraine. I said, wow, that's big. And he's like, it won't go away. And so I said, well, let's pray together. And we prayed for months. And he said, this is not leaving. This is what God wants me to do. And he did. He gave his life to it. And now we see where they're at, right? So, guys, sometimes God is going to tell you something to get involved in or to give to. That's when you know it's the Lord, right? So we're expected to respond to the Spirit's prompting about giving. Sometimes the Spirit will speak to us about giving to a person or giving to a cause. I remember I read a story one time about a, a guy who was sitting in church, and he was, he was wise with his money, and he had some savings. And God spoke to him about a, a lady in the church. He said, I want you to pay her utilities for a year. He was a single mom. So he went up to her and he said, hey, um, he actually went to the utilities office, paid her utilities ahead of time for a year, and he went to that mom and just said, hey, I just want you to know God told me to do this, so I did it, and she lost it. She was having a hard time paying her bills, he said, there, how? but she hadn't told anybody. She says, how did you know? He said, the Lord just told me to do it. And he said, that's why I live the way that I do, so I can do things like that. And that's what God wants us to do, to respond to his prompting. When he tells us to do something, be prompted and Be obedient. To that. We're expected to be informed about opportunities to give. Guys, we give you all kinds of opportunities to be informed. Every Sunday in Sunday school, Don Masson shares what? Missions updates. Do we do that because we don't have enough to talk about? No. Don could talk the whole time about the lesson, but it's important to know what's going on. Over here on this table in the foyer, we've got a whole table full of Missionary updates, they send us in the mail. We print those out and give those to you. We have a, a video there with different things going on around the world in missions. We want you to be informed. But it's not just giving to missions. It's also giving locally to the church. What is God prompting you to do? Is he asking you to get involved in a ministry? Is he asking you to, to up your giving to missions or to your tithes and offerings to the church? Because we're making an impact here in town. Every Wednesday, we've got students in kids' church, students in youth, That God is doing something in. You have opportunities to be involved in those things. Women's ministries, men's ministries, find those things out. And then we're expected to give faithfully. And here's the thing, guys we understand that tithing and giving increase our trust. Tithing and giving increase our trust in God's provision. It does not make sense that God asks us to give 10% of our income to Him, does it? It just doesn't make sense. Well, how can I live on 90%? How can you not? That's the question. Because when we give that 10%, we understand that tithing and giving, they increase our trust. It shows us that God really will do what he says he's going to do, right? When we give, and I know God challenged me. Again, I was young and I remember I was sitting in church. I had given my life to Christ when I was 16. And so I had to work on Sundays. So I went to the early service of my church. You know who was in the early service? Me and a bunch of older folks, right? Because it started at nine o'clock and they got out. And so I remember I was sitting there one Sunday and we had this one pastor, his name was Pastor Lance. He's passed on now, but he was a, the pastoral care pastor and he was an old cowboy in Southern Missouri. And so he would get up and he would, he would take the offering every week. <laughs> I remember one Sunday I was sitting there and I, you know, I would give a little bit. I'd never actually tithed, but i just give a little bit. And he get up and he said, boys, I hate freeloaders, just like that. Like, yeah, I don't like that either. And he said, if you don't tithe, you're a freeloader. I'm like, wait, what? You know, I mean, I think I actually said it out loud. <laughs> it was a big church, he couldn't hear me. But I remember he said that and he said, you know, if God has given to you and pouring into you and you're receiving that, but you're not giving him back what's his, you're kind of a freeloader. And I went, well, that kind of hurt, you know? And so I, I went home and I prayed about it and I started tithing. And you know what happened? God provided. It was amazing when I saw that and I started trusting him more. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, this is an incredible passage of Scripture. Listen to what the Lord said, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Now, before this, God was talking to the people of Israel, and he says, should a people cheat God? He said, but you've cheated me. And they said, well, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? And he said, you've cheated me out of tithes and offerings due to me, and you're under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do, now here's the thing. He says, if you do, this is what happens. I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. And then he says this. What does he say? Try it. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be Abundant. For I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes won't fall from the vine before they're ripe, says the Lord of heaven armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed because your land will be such a delight. Now, there are not many places in Scripture where God says, test me. But this is one because it's important. And guys, this is not me saying this. This is the Lord telling us this. He says, when you give, when you are faithful to give, God will bless you back. And again, it's counterintuitive, but that's how God's whole kingdom works, isn't it? If you want to be the greatest, you have to be the what? The servant, the least. If you want to get ahead, you have to be willing to be at the end, right? And he says, if you want to be blessed, you have to trust me in your giving. And so if you have not tried tithing, guys, God is saying it, try me. And I cannot tell you, I've seen it in my own life, but I can't tell you the amount of people that have come to me and said, Pastor, I I can't afford to tithe but I'm going to try it. And every single time they come back and say, wow, I got a raise at work. Or wow, this bill got paid off and I was able to afford it. Or wow, God just provided this. And he does over and over and over. When we trust him to provide for our needs instead of ourselves, it increases our faith. You know, in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus told the Pharisees they should tithe and also should be generous. So he's saying we have to do both. So we understand that the tithing and giving, they increase our trust, but they also shift our priorities. When I'm willing to put God first in my giving, it takes my mind off of me and puts it onto him and to others. It helps me learn how to be generous. And again, it makes no sense in our me first culture, but he's able to bless us more than we can imagine. It's amazing to watch God provide for us um, it's, in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22, the Lord said, You must set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place your Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. And eat it there in his presence. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, and the firstborn males of your flocks and herds. Doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. He says, when we give, it teaches us to put him First. And there was a guy in our, our church family that came to me one time, and he just said, you know, he had given his life to Christ, and he's just like, Pastor, I, I just, I can't, I can't do this thing. I, he said, "I, you know, I, I can't afford to tithe, and I hate my job, and I can't afford to lose this job. And he said, what do I do? And I said, well, all I can tell you is what God says. He says, try it. He says, try me. And he says, all right. He <laughs> was one of those, like, if this goes bad, this is on you. And he tried it. I kid you not. A couple weeks later came up, he's like, You're not going to believe this. I got a new job. And it's way better than what I had, and it pays better. And I love it. And I said, That's God. And he said, I know. And he was so excited. And then after that, man, he was generous. He was always, but he had to try it first. He had to test God. And so it really does work. God works that way. And then we're expected to give extravagantly. What does that mean? It means to go going above what's normal. Now, I'm not saying you need to sell your house and give the money to the church unless God tells you to do that. But we, do, we are expected to give more than we feel like we can afford. In Mark chapter 14, verse 3, it says, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured out the perfume over his head. Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume? They said, this could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. But Jesus rebuked them and said, no, what she's doing is a wonderful thing. This perfume was not just, you know, a bottle of whatever foo-foo stuff from France. This was like a year's wages. So $50,000, $70,000 worth. What would this mean to this woman? Retirement, security. But she was willing to give it because God told her to. Right? And then another, in Luke chapter 21, there was a lady who came into the temple and she dropped a couple coins in. And, you know, the disciples are talking about how much all these big givers saying this woman gave more than all of them because she gave what? Everything that she had. It was an extravagant gift. So we understand that both the women in these stories, they gave more than was what? Comfortable. God told them to give something and they did it. They gave more than was comfortable to them. One gave probably her retirement. Another gave what she was living on. And God took care of them. And then we understand that both women gave extravagantly. So Mary gave that huge offering that, you know, today would be $50,000, dollars 70000 Widow gave what she had to live on. So here's the question, guys. What is God asking you to give? Is it financially? Is God asking you to give of your time to get involved in a ministry? Maybe something that makes you uncomfortable. Is God asking you to to go on a mission trip? Is God asking you to get involved? Is God asking you to start tithing and you haven't before? Is God asking you to give to missionaries? Is God saying I want you to start something? This doctor that I told you about, he, um, you know, he was really involved in youth, and his, his kid graduated, and they had those tornadoes that went through Joplin back in 2010, I think it was 2011. And after that, you know, his house was fine. He had a great business going, his doctor's practice. But God told him he wanted him to give everything up and go minister to the homeless. And everybody told him he was nuts. They said, you're you're almost at retirement age. You can retire in wealth. You could go live in South America. You know, anywhere you wanted to go. And he said, this is what God told us to do. So they moved to another town. They started a homeless ministry. They sold their incredible house, sold their practice, lived in almost nothing. And God blessed them incredibly. Because of that. Everybody told them they were nuts, but they said, we know this is what we're supposed to do. And God provided. And they saw incredible miracles over and over and over again because they were willing to what? To give extravagantly. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up this morning. And I know these are uncomfortable messages. We don't like it when people start, you know, where I came from, they said, we start meddling. Is <laughs> what you do when you start talking about giving. But this is something God challenges us to do, to give more than is comfortable, whether that's financially, whether that's with our time, whether that's with our talents, whether God is asking us to do what Dan and Libby did and, and give up a nice career and go be missionaries. You know, maybe God's telling you to do something like Curtis Change Fields. Maybe God's telling you to do something like Kathy Mesker did and start a ministry that you never thought you'd ever want to do, or Kathleen Roos and go start working in youth ministry. <laughs> You know, retire from teaching, yes. No, and I go, hang out with students every week again, right? Those kind of things, right? And she loves it. What is God asking you to do? So I'm going to ask you to stand this morning if you're able.